Yeah, let's go ahead and open our Bibles uh, to John chapter 21. Last week we were in John 20, uh, so we're moving maybe one page over, uh, maybe on the same page for you. Uh, but we are going to be looking at John chapter 21 and closing out our series entitled Engaging Redemption, where we're looking at how Jesus engages and brings redemption to our sin, doubts, and insecurities. And I said from the beginning that when we think about engage, if you look at the definition of uh, engage, it's to occupy, attract, or involve the attention or life of another. So uh, be it in dating or uh, really uh, in any friendship, like we want to engage one another. As the church, or we want to be a people that engage one another. And uh, that's through both encouragement which we really like that, even if we don't know what to do with that all the time, right? Uh, but also it's, and man, we hear this a lot, especially just in uh, the culture of center church, is like, man, uh, we're not afraid. We want to engage the mess as well, because what we want to uh, be a people is that we're transparent enough to say, hey, we all have mess. Uh, and we want to be willing to say, hey, uh, it's okay as the church if we get involved in that so that we can see transformation And so we engage those things and the goal of all of it, the goal of Jesus coming and engaging uh, by dwelling among us, by living and dying and resurrecting is so that he might redeem. We want to see redemption and redemption simply means to compensate for the faults or bad aspects of a person. And what we know is that we all have faults. We all have bad aspects. We all, as I just said, we have mess, but Jesus has come to redeem it. You see, the gospel story presents us with both of these things. Jesus engages and then he redeems not just part of us, but all of who we are. It is a complete redemption, even though we may like some of you are like, wait, I still struggle. Wait, even as we drove up here, as we got here this morning, man, in the car, I was struggling. Uh, But God is, while it is a complete redemption, He is working it out, right? He's working, uh, He's renewing us, He's growing us, transforming us day by day, moment by moment. And He does it through the giving of Himself on the cross for the redemption of our sins. Uh, And then what happens is we are met by God's grace with the reality of the resurrection. We saw that last week. That's what Jesus does is He shows up, right? He shows up in in dramatic fashion. And I think, you know, we joked about it last week, man. If Jesus just showed up and the doors were all locked, like it would freak us out a little bit. But really when we think about our own stories, man, when Jesus shows up in your life, man, it is a dramatic Thing. It is it is supernatural that Jesus would come, that he reveals himself to us, the reality of the resurrection in light of our brokenness. I mean, in that we receive life. He engages our doubts. He gives us faith by God's grace. And so this brings us to our time today where we're going to look at how Jesus engages our insecurities and brings redemption to them by giving us a new identity so that we might then follow him in obedience to our calling as disciples who go and proclaim the good news with our lives. I mean, because like, hey, if we're all honest, like we all struggle with moments of insecurity, right? Like we all have insecurities. 
And it probably wouldn't take us much time being around one another for those insecurities to begin to show up and reveal themselves, right? And sometimes in subtle ways, but sometimes in not so subtle ways. Amen? Like they just show up. There, there are certain things in life that when you're asked, you can feel your palms begin to sweat. Your throat starts to close up a little. And it takes everything within you not to run and hide. So, so when you think about insecurity, how do you commonly respond to these moments of insecurity? What's, what's your usual response? This is where we have that interaction time that we love so much, right? How do you respond to insecurity? Flee, yeah. You've got to get out of there, right? I want any part of it. Pray, yeah. What else? Shut down. Any of you try to like, no, I'm going to press through this. I'm going to perform. I, you know, I, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to sit in the the reality and the 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 the, the, the this pressure of just like, okay, I, I'm going to do enough. I'm going to I'm going to be enough today. I'm going to do this in my own strength. I think, you know, some of you, like when you feel insecurity, I think, you know, at times, like we just, you get angry, right? You lash out, right? Like you're insecure and then whoever's around you, like they're not safe because you're just going to let them feel the brunt of that insecurity. You're going to place it on them. They didn't do anything, but you're going to, you're placing your insecurities on them. We start to blame everyone else, right? Like when you're insecure, you can begin to believe all these things like, I know they did it. Like, they're the cause, they're the root of your insecurity. You know, for me, like when I feel insecure, the, the, the immediate response I have is, I want to go take a nap. Right? I'm a nine, if you know what the Enneagram is, I'm a nine on the Enneagram, and when we don't feel healthy, we just want to take a nap, right? Uh, which I love naps, I can't sleep anywhere. Right. Sometimes that's good. Other times it's like Haley's like, hey, you can't go take a nap today. OK, I know that's what you want to do. I see your eyes closing, Kyle. You're, they're open and you're snoring. OK, like don't do that. But that's what I tend to do when I feel insecure. It's like, hey, how can I how, how, how can I uh, man, I just want to find a room and just go sleep. You see, today, we're going to, as we look at John 21, we're going to see Jesus. Jesus is going to engage Peter, who struggles in a variety of ways that are really common uh, to the ways we struggle with insecurity. The, the same responses, the same heart motivations. And, and, and the reason uh, Peter is struggling is he's walking through his own shame and insecurity. And so with that, let's look at John 21, verses 1 through 3. It says this, after this, and remember, Jesus has revealed Himself twice so far in the Gospel of John. It says, Jesus revealed Himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and He revealed Himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of His disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. 
Okay, so John 21 falls on the heels of John 20, where we saw Jesus engage the disciples with the reality of his resurrection by, uh, again, he just shows up in the midst of a locked room two times. And we saw last week that Thomas is struggling with doubt. He says, man, if I don't see the marks on his hand where, where the spear went into his side, I'll never believe Jesus reveals himself and the reality of his resurrection. And man, Thomas's response is, my Lord and my God. He begins to walk in faith. And so following these two events, what we see is that a group of the disciples, they, they've journeyed now from Jerusalem back to the Sea of Tiberias, which the Sea of Tiberias, it's another name for the Sea of Galilee. They've journeyed back to Galilee. And once they arrive... Peter decides, he says, look, I'm going to go fishing. And so all the others, they say, hey, we're going to go with you. I mean, who doesn't like fishing, right? We're going to go out with you. You see, all that, man, their life has been a whirlwind. Not just the last three years as they've walked with Jesus, but man, just the last few days, the last week or so has been crazy. And so it's like, hey, I need to relax a bit. Let's just go fishing. And it's here at the beginning of chapter 21 that we find a common response to insecurity. I mean, just again, think about everything that's just happened, but specifically because we're going to be looking at the life of Peter. I want you to think about, if you know Peter's story, think about Peter's life. You see, Peter was a fisherman. But Jesus says, hey, follow me and I'm going to make you fishers. And so he drops his nets and he follows the, 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 the Son of God, the God who put on flesh, Emmanuel, he follows him. And, and during their time together, he says a lot of good things. You know, God says, hey, you know, it's on this rock. You know, he, Peter means rock, right? He says, you know, he makes this response of, man, you are, you are Jesus, the Savior. You are, you are the Lamb of God. You know, he, he proclaims the, who Christ is. But also, he says a lot of really, really dumb things. You know, some say that Peter had a foot-shaped mouth because he was always putting his foot in his mouth. Peter dealt with pride. You know, Peter in the middle, you know, he he says, I'll never deny you, Jesus. Even if we have to die. And then when they come to arrest him, man, who's the one that grabs the sword and starts swinging it and cuts a guy's ear? Peter, like he's, he, he's just gets, you know, he gets in his own way. Right after that, this pride leads to his fall and he denies Jesus three times. He experiences and sees Jesus' death. He experiences the reality of Jesus' resurrection. And then what we know, and we saw it last week, Jesus tells him, hey, I'm going to be sending you. He hasn't sent them out yet. But also, and I can imagine in the midst of all that's gone on, all the emotion, Peter is still dealing with the reality that he denied Jesus. And it hasn't been dealt with. He probably feels not only shame, but pretty insecure about that. Wrestling with insecurity. And and in the midst of it, not just Peter, but all the disciples, they do what we all tend to do in these moments. We run from what we don't know to what we know. You see, these disciples leave from Jerusalem and head back to their place of security, which was home in Galilee, and they jump back into what they knew, which was fishing. 
You see, insecurity will push us to run to what we know or what we're good at. You ever experienced that? Like you do, maybe you don't know something or maybe you're in a conversation and you don't really know how to get... So you're just talking about the things that you know and you feel really good about? I know, man, this is my wheelhouse, right? A conversation changes to something you're really passionate about and you haven't said a word for 30 minutes and then they say something you're like, boom, and you just unload and then you just go back to the shadows, Right? Like, what was that? We, we, we want to engage in those things because we're secure in what we know. You see, insecurity longs to hide behind comfort and safety. We, we, we get in a situation that feels uncomfortable and we immediately want to go to a place of comfort. I want you to just think about it. What's that place of comfort for you? Maybe it's work. Man, I'm not really secure in any of these other things, but I know I can go to work and I can do really well at that. You know, maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe it's, uh, I'm going to go shopping. You know, that's my place. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's alcohol. It's like, I'm going to go to those places because that's where I can find comfort. You know, for me, and the reality of this really came forward a couple of weeks ago, for me, that place of comfort has always been my grandparents' house. I knew no matter what was going on in life, I knew that that's where I could go and it was secure and it was comfortable and it was safe. And so I, I, some of you have been watching uh, what has transpired with our chicken coop over the last few weeks. Uh, I call it the coop of many tears uh, and a lot of blood too recently. Uh, but... We, uh, the chickens are fine, okay, it was my own blood. Alright, so we have been building this chicken coop, and man, I couldn't figure out how to cut an angle to save my life, and I was already stressed and worked up, and I just began, because I, guess what, I was insecure. I didn't know how to do it. And so I remember I left the house to go get some more wood because everyone wants to buy lumber right now because it's a million dollars. And so I go and I'm, I'm headed back from Lowe's on 36 going to my house. And in my mind, I was like, man, right now, I just wish I could just keep driving on 36 and go straight to my grandparents' house. Now, it, it was I didn't want to leave my family or anything. I just wanted to escape. I wanted to go to that place of comfort and security. Because that's, man, and then immediately, like, I can't go there anymore because they, they, they passed away. We sold the place. I, I don't have that. I mean, I just began to rest, and I was just crying while I was driving home, you know. But, man, God in His grace began just to reveal, like, hey, just create this realization. I think we all need to, to realize this, that, man, whatever we're running to, it's the, the only thing that's ever going to satisfy. The only thing that's ever going to bring true security is that we have to run to Jesus. He has to be our source of comfort. He is the security we need that actually engages and redeems our insecurity. You see, the gospel is good news because it comes to us and we don't have to... to uh, to run to it like it's the shelter. Like we can always look to the good news. Because Jesus took all of our sin, doubt, and insecurity and He clothes us in His righteous identity that is secured by the Father's loving will. 
You see, what I love about this chapter is that it begins with that very good news. Because in verse 1, it it, it says, we see it even if that good news follows a bunch of insecurity. It says in verse 1 that Jesus reveals himself another time, a third time to the disciples. Even in the midst of their running. Even in the midst of them going to that place of just like, we don't know what to do. Let's go to a place of comfort. Jesus continues to reveal himself. I think we need to hear that today. You see, the good news is Jesus meets us. He reveals himself to us. And guess what? He does it far more than three times. His grace meets us over and over and over again. And so let's quit running. And as he's going to say later, man, follow me. So the disciples, they go out and they fish all night. They catch nothing. We talk about frustrating, right? Like you're already dealing with some stuff and then you just come up empty-handed. You don't catch anything. It was Peter's job as a fisherman before he started following Jesus. And he comes back and he's like, I can't do it anymore. I lost it, right? And don't tell me that at least they got to enjoy, you know, some solitude on the water, right? Like that's a cop-out. If you're going fishing and you don't catch fish, you lose, Okay. Like, that's what it is, right? Like, we all know it. Like, you go fishing with other people, you're keeping count, right? And, uh, and, and so it's, you know, they catch nothing. They are frustrated. But you see, in the moment, the real issue is not, is they're not catching any fish, but it's in the midst of the insecurities. They're trying to mask it with the pride of hauling in a lot of fish. They do what we're, they're doing what we often do. We tell ourselves, hey, if I can do this, I will feel secure again. So we run to those things. If I can just do this, man, that insecurity will go away even for a moment. But guess what? It's only for a moment. You see, the thing is, and, and those, man, if you're in Men's Equip right now, we're walking through what we call the pamphlet. Uh, it's a book by Tim Keller uh, called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. What, what that book argues and shares is that, that, that the pride or the ego is something that is never filled, nor is it secure, no matter the amount of fish. We're not, we're not really talking about fish. Keller says that our ego is an insatiable black hole that can't be satisfied. And he goes further, he says, that's our natural bent. And at the heart of the, the brokenness of who we are like that is, man, we're at, we, we got to fill that thing up. And so they catch nothing. But let's look now at verses 4 through 6. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. All right, so after a long night of fishing, trying to uh, fill that ego and feel secure for a moment, they catch nothing and they we find that Jesus is on the shore. And man, really what Jesus does here is he begins to kind of rub it in a little bit, right? He's kind of poking at it, you know. And, and, and what he says, he calls them children. And, and then he shares the fact, he says, y'all haven't caught anything, have you? A better translation is, hey, little boys, you don't have any fish, do you? Now, those I, I shared a few weeks back in Galatians series, I believe those are serious. Those are fighting words, right? 
That, that's like saying that Brenham is what? Is East Texas, okay? Like that's what, like the, your, the, the rage begin to, begins to rise up a little bit. Man, I, I remember as a child one time, I was, I was little. Like I was, I mean, wasn't that little. I was old enough to know better. But we're in a store and this guy that I knew started picking on me, just messing with me. And, and I turned and looked at him and not thinking, I said, boy. And then I said something else. And then I walked out of the convenience store. And then I got in the truck with my uncle. It was not good. I don't remember what he said, but pretty much the gist of it is, if you ever call a man a boy again, or a ch- like a child, he said, I, pretty much what he said, what I heard was, I will end you. Right? Like, and I got that, man, I got it. Like, you didn't know, you didn't have to tell me again. But, you know, like what Jesus is doing, he's saying, hey, like, hey guys, like, you're not catching anything, are you? Really, he's trying to say, hey, I'm trying to get to your heart. I'm going after your heart. I'm not, these external things, they're not working, are they? And so what he does is he's trying to reveal that security can only be found in him. And so he, he tells them that and he gives them some advice. He says, hey, I don't know if you've tried it, which guess what they probably had. He says, hey, throw your net on the other side. Like, he's giving fishermen advice. Like, you know, you tried it on this side. Maybe the water's better on the other side. And so they do it and it says that they're unable to haul the fish in. They, they can't get it into the boat. You see, Jesus can fill our hearts, lives, and nets with far more than we could ever imagine. But He doesn't puff us up into believing we're something we aren't. He fills us up with an identity that knows and trusts in who He is. We need to listen to Him. We need to follow Him. Let's continue in the story, verses 7-11. through That disciple, whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter... It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish already laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Verse 11, So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Okay, so after the interaction from the shore, the disciple whom Jesus loved, which happens to be the same disciple that's writing this gospel, tells Peter it's Jesus. This is John. He commonly, if you look at the gospel of John, he commonly calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. I mean, when we hear that, when we read that, it's, it's you know, this thing that we, we give John a hard time about that, Right? Like, John, come on, man. That's like Moses saying, you know, and we see in the Old Testament, it says Moses was the meekest man that ever walked. Moses wrote that, right? Like, you know, like we, we, it's like, you know, we, we look at it, we're like, really, man? You see, I believe that the reason John writes the way he does, and the reason he goes out of his way to describe himself the way he does, is rooted in a deep understanding of Christ's love for him. You see, John isn't being arrogant. John is secure in his identity as a beloved child of God. It's it's what we term as gospel humility. And man, that's hard for us to define. 
It's hard. It's even harder for us to notice and even, man, have a place for it. Like we, we struggle to have a grid for what that looks like. Do you talk about yourself in this way? Do you, if someone were to ask you, man, like who you are, would you describe yourself the way John describes his, himself? Do your actions match it? You see, we boast and puff ourselves up. John describes himself as simply loved. Man, is it enough for you today to simply be loved by God? You see, security in Christ leads to this type of identity. It's an understanding of who you are that leads to the confidence and gospel humility in the way you view yourself and the way you speak about yourself, but also, we're going to get to it later, in the way you speak about others and the way you carry yourself. You see, what we get in this passage are two pictures in the story of John and Peter. One is of security and the other one's of insecurity. One is of humility and the other is pride. Because look at how Peter responds. John says this, and then Peter puts on his clothes, and he throws himself frantically into the sea and starts swimming while the rest of the disciples head in on the boat. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were to place a bet on a race between a boat and someone swimming, I'm going to go with the boat, okay? Do you see what's more important than who won this race is the state of Peter's heart. And his felt need to perform and try to get to Jesus in his own strength to prove himself, which reveals to us another way that we try to cover our insecurity. That's what Peter's doing. He's trying to perform so that he can prove that, that he can be secure in Christ. Which is not the good news, right? Later, you see in the passage that Jesus says, hey, bring some fish. And Peter goes by himself and pulls the fish in without the help of others to prove that he alone is strong enough to fulfill the work that Jesus gave them. This goes all the way back to the garden. You see, since the fall, we've always sought to hide and cover our sin out of insecurity and shame. You see, we are performers and actors at the depths of who we are, but the problem is, is that the only thing our performing does is wear us out. Not only that, but we prove to be foolish, right? Like all Peter did in swimming to shore was prove himself to be a fool. But it also reveals that our identity is being found in what we do and not in what Christ has done for us. You see, insecurity and performance leads to boasting and puffing ourselves up in the hopes that we might feel accepted and better than others. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, said it best when he said, Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more than the next man. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone. Not only that, but and we see you see this in Keller's book. He says, man, once he says, once someone is better, richer or more successful than you, you are crushed. Because, again, while you thought you were secure, it only lasted for a moment. Now you're insecure. To take it to the heart, once you realize that Christ's work, Christ's work 
finished what you could not, there's no competition to be had, only submission to the Lordship of Christ. No shame or insecurity to be found, for your shame has been nailed to the cross and you were secure in the victory of Christ on your behalf. Do you believe this today? Do the motivations of your heart reveal this security in the way that you live and serve others? This is good news for us today. As we will see, it's the same good news that Jesus responds to Peter with. And so let's close out our time by looking at verses 15 through 23. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. All right, so once breakfast was done, Jesus responds to Peter's actions, but he does it not by critiquing his performance, but rather he engages the broken state of his pride-filled heart. You see, shame for his denial has turned to the pride of performance, which is a mark, a mark of insecurity is pride. So as they sat around the fire, Jesus asked him the same question three times. Do you love me? It's the same question he asks us in the midst of our own insecurities. Do you love me? Really, uh, to press into that, it's do you believe me to be enough? Do you believe me to be your security? But I, I want us to remember how he and we come to love him. You see, we, or we, we and, and Peter can only love him because we've first been loved in Christ. You see, that's security right there. We get it so backwards. We think, well, I've got to love him enough for him to love. No, he loves you fully. And from that, by his grace, you then learn what it means to love. That relieves the pressure of performance and pride. That produces gospel humility. You see, each time Peter answers, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And the reality was that Peter does. He's just forgotten who loved him first. He's traded security for insecurity, grace for shame, and pride in the place of humility. Man, do you feel that today? 
You received grace, but you've messed up in some way and you're longing for that rest again. Guess what? It's there. Jesus is asking the same question of you and I today. Grace didn't change. It's still there. But we, in the midst of these moments, just traded security for insecurity. But look at Jesus' response to Peter. Each time he tells him to feed his sheep or tend his lambs, the, the verbiage used here can really be translated simply as like, hey, I want you to keep following me. It's a theme we see throughout the end of the passage. He just gets more blunt with it. What Jesus is trying to get Peter to understand here is that the goal is not in how fast you can swim, how many fish you can haul in, or how well you can do at not denying Jesus. The goal is to simply quit thinking about what you believe yourself not to be and remember who you are in Christ. It's simply to receive the immense grace and love that Jesus gives and follow Him by proclaiming and sharing the immense Love and grace with others. It's to trust in one's identity over the noise of insecurity. Because you see, an identity that is resting in Christ rather than treading the waters of insecurity understands what Jesus says when when He responds to Peter in the passage and talks about the way that He would die. You see, an identity that's secure in the Gospel can handle any circumstance with humility, grace, and care, be it failure or suffering. For the answer to all of it is that we simply continue to follow Jesus, resting in His love, provision, and care over our lives. For Jesus engages and redeems our insecurities, but in doing so, He gives us hope and rest no matter what comes along. That's why we can continue to run to Him. You don't have to run to those other things. They're going to fail you. And so the question for each of us and the question for Peter at the end of the passage has to be answered is whether or not this security of following Jesus is enough. Is simply following Jesus enough for you today? Because you see in the story, we see that for Peter, the struggle to simply follow and find security in Christ over over the needs of filling his ego leads, as it does for uh, for us much of the time, to the revealing of further insecurity. What we do is we hear that and we say, that's good, but we're secure. And then another thought pops up, which we should just rebuke. But we don't. See, Peter receives this good news gladly, but then he turns and he sees once again the disciple whom Jesus loves. And he asks the question, he says, what about him? This response, again, is the broken product of insecurity. You see, comparison is the broken product of insecurity, and left unchecked, it will wreak havoc in your life, heart, and relationships. So today, as you think about your life, to whom or what are you comparing yourself to? You see, we're all doing it. Not only that, we're all doing it all the time. We're constantly comparing ourselves to other people, families, coworkers, neighbors, or like even random people on the street, right? Like you don't even know. And you'll look at them and you'll make a snap judgment. Hey, they're better than me. Or, hey, I'm better than them, right? But to what end? 
Man, I believe that the only end to comparison is sin. See, comparison, when given the space to run freely in our hearts, always leads to sin. And so let me just give a few examples of some of these things it leads to. First, it leads to performance. It's this broken pattern, right? We believe we have to keep up with the Joneses. If you've been a part of financial peace, guess what? What does Dave Ramsey say? The Joneses are broke, right? Like they're broke. They couldn't even keep up. But not only that, they're broken. Performance is a broken cistern. Next, we turn to boasting. But already we see that we have nothing to boast in but Christ crucified. Anything you can do pales in comparison to the cross. And when you boast, all it does is make you look bad. Next, it leads to judgment. We gauge our lives based on the wins and failures of others. And if we're honest, much of the time when we're insecure, our hearts long for failure so that we can boast for being better than them. Another one is a critical spirit. Comparison leads to a critical spirit that seeks to tear down and question the motivations of everyone else, but you don't realize that there's a log in your own eye. It leads to gossip. Gossip about others so that we can feel good in the eyes of self and others about where our own mess is. Another one is blame shifting. Comparison pushes us to shift the blame for our faults onto others. You know, you, you hear it all the time. People that just, man, they just relish the glory days. They say, if coach would have put me in in the fourth quarter, in the words of Rico on Napoleon Dynamite, we would have gone to state, right? Rico can't throw the ball 15 yards, but he thought he was going to make it to state. It's always something. If they would have just done this, if they would do their job in the marriage, if my kids would just do this, our life would be better if my coworkers would just get it together. If God would just make my life a bit easier, if I would have just had two parents. If I wouldn't have experienced such loss in my life. Lastly, we see jealousy and anger. You see, comparison doesn't allow us to celebrate others because we're upset that we aren't where they are. Today, where are you filled with jealousy? You see, jealousy is a covert destroyer. But the thing about it is people see it because we're bad at hiding it. Because guess what? Out of the overflow of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. Not only that, but even before it leaves your mouth, man, it's it, your facial expressions, your posture show it. You see, in all this, when left unchecked, leads us to become angry and bitter towards God and others in ways that enslave us. Which is why Jesus rebukes Peter's question and he does the same to ours. He says, who cares? He says, Peter, stop. He says, who cares? If I let him live forever, it doesn't matter. Your security is not to be concerned with what I will for others. Your security is found in me and me alone. Therefore, Jesus says, you follow me. You see, today in the midst of your insecurities, in the midst of your running and your performance, your boasting and your comparison, Jesus' response to you is, stop, follow me. 
Engaging redemption is found in laying aside of our insecurities and following Jesus who loves us and gave Himself up for us. Guess what? You know what that does? That produces what what Tyler talked about earlier in in Galatians 5. It produces the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Nothing that I just talked about in terms of the list of the fruit of insecurity, none of that's on there. But that's what we want. And it becomes by realizing how much we're loved by God. And then guess what? It frees us up to love others. Too, in the, in the words of, again, the pamphlet, <laughs> we, we don't think about, we, 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 we can be self-forgetful. Which means we don't have to think about ourselves. And so today, is that enough for you? And today, where do you need to lay down insecurity? Today, where do you need to repent, right? Say, Jesus, man, I missed it. I've made it a lot about performance and boasting and comparison and all these other things. But but not only that today, and I really want you to wrestle with this because I think that we don't go far enough. Where do you need to go and repent to others? And say, hey, man, those emotions of insecurity, of boasting and judgment and being critical and gossiping and blame shifting and jealousy and anger. And I need to come to you and I need to say, hey, I need to apologize. I need to repent for that. It was wrong. It wasn't you. I was just insecure. I'm going to have Tyler come back up. Man, I want us, that's what I want us to do. We're going to take some time. I want you to begin to, man, to process as the Spirit to reveal, man, are there areas in my life where, man, I'm seeking security in other things? where my insecurity is pushing me to flee or run or whatever it is. But man, let me be secure in you. Reveal, Holy Spirit, where those areas are so that I can repent of them and turn to you. Reveal to me, man, places that I need to go to others in repentance and and, and just share with them, man, this is what I've done because of my insecurity. Man, And then may cry out and say, God, I just want to follow you. As we do that, we're going to share in communion. And sharing in communion, what we're doing is remembering. We're remembering the love of God for us. That He is enough, that we are secure in His blood. He was crucified. But in that, our our sin was taken away. But in His resurrection, we are given identity, a new life. We are given security and hope. Man, that's something to worship about. Nothing else matters. He's our only source. Let's follow Him. Jesus, I pray that we would simply follow You, that we would lay down our insecurities. God, that we would, <laughs> we would find great hope in the fact that man, we're going to continually be laying those things down, but You continually reveal Yourself to us. You say, follow Me. You remind us of how we've been loved, how we are loved. God, that we can trust in You and not our performance or boasting or what we know or, uh, man, uh, feeling like we have to know more or be better, whatever, that we can trust simply in Your grace. And may that lead to that fruit, the fruit of Your Spirit overflowing in our lives. Let us turn from those broken cisterns. Let us turn to You and let us follow You. It's only by Your power and strength that that happens. We cry out for it. We long for it. We want to see it. In Jesus' name, amen.